with the rise in graphic medicine, we're starting to see you know, medical schools using comics to teach content because medical students are actually able to retain it far better than the traditional textbooks. Hey, welcome to the Caption Life, a podcast about the impact of comics and pop culture on life and society. Uh, from Texas, I'm your host, Kevin. I'm James from Kentucky. And I am Sean from Indiana. Uh, tonight we have uh, the special honor of having a guest, uh, Miss Jill Gerber, who is an award-winning uh, educator of 20 years and a longtime advocate of using graphic literature uh, in the curriculum to teach all learners. Uh, she is the history department chair at the Kairos Academy uh, in St. Louis, which is a charter school. Uh, in addition to presenting workshops on integrating comics in the classroom, she also co-writes about uh, innovative viewpoints on comics and kid lit in education on the blog Perceptive Gaze. I didn't want to say perspective gaze because I have a tendency to flub words like that. So see, I was going to do it again. Perceptive <laughs> gaze. So uh, welcome, Jill, to uh, the podcast. Thanks. I'm excited. I think we're going to uh, kick off the night talking uh, a little bit about some current events in uh, comics, and one of those things was uh, about the some some plays that Marvel has made uh, made available to educators. So, Jill, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Today, the New York Times broke the story that Marvel has uh, written three plays ge geared towards high school students. Um, one is uh, Miss Marvel, so looking at um, uh, Camilla Khan as the main character. And then another one is Thor and Loki. And then the third one is Squirrel Girl Goes to, goes to College. Um, I'm really excited about it. I think it's a way um, that Marvel is showing its interest in actually breaking into the school market and treating it like um, real literature. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see what age levels they fall to. Um, they're targeting it towards high school but I could easily see middle schools, particularly with Miss Marvel, having some fun um, with putting on school productions. The pricing is pretty inexpensive from my understanding, um, $75 for uh, per um, show. And then I think they have like a blanket license for $225, um, which is extremely reasonable. Um, so I'm excited to see what kids do with these materials. Um, Squirrel Girl and 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 uh, Miss Marvel are my two favorites. Loki, I'll be and Thor, I'll be curious to see uh, what kind of fight scenes that one has for kids. Yeah, I was uh, reading um, on the uh, New York Times uh, article today, and you know, for Miss Marvel, uh, it could be a really challenging yeah. play to. Uh, uh, to perform and a few things that they talked about in here was especially how to convey her power uh, to change shape shrink grow and I never really thought about that about about how that character would uh, would be per, would be portrayed on stage because this is something so new because no one's ever done it before and I think that's just fantastic. Yeah, and I like their suggestions of like 
uh, shadow puppets. And I, I think that really adds a whole nother layer in terms of the creativity piece. And I think that's one of the great things about presenting something on stage because you don't have special effects to uh, fill in the gaps. And so you have to use some imagination in order to uh, pull off the story. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it's a lot of fun opportunities for those who are interested in not just the acting part, but the technical theater part as well, too, because just like we all just said, trying to figure out ways to um, produce that in a live theatrical um, production, you know, unless they happen to get an actress who can really shrink and grow and change shapes in real life, which, you know, maybe that's out there. We don't know. Right. But, um, but I think, you know, that's, that kind of presents something that's a little bit interesting because then that's a little bit of a challenge that people can really think, think about. And, um, you know, I don't know if, if they're going to provide like some guidance on that, but, you know, I could see, um, the teachers and the students going to be involved with the theater production. They'll be really excited about thinking about ways, how they can, um, simulate that in the theater production, whether it's using, you know, lights or, you know, uh, mechanisms or any sort of other like technical uh, production that they might think about in terms of trying to um, create those sort of uh, scenarios and those um, presentations too. So. Well, and hopefully, hopefully it goes better than Spider-Man on Broadway. <laughs> right. <laughs> I forgot all about that. I never actually seen that. Was, was, was it bad? No, oh, people it's got just... hurt. Yeah, people got hurt. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I remember that now. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. I do like the fact, though, that, you know, they're actually going to, you could actually look at the complexity of the storylines and the characters beyond, right, the special effects. And I think that's a battle that I always find trying to get comics, particularly superhero comics, into the classroom is that people dismiss them as purely entertainment and don't look at the fact that you know, these characters are rich. They are dealing with human issues. Um, in addition to having, you know, these powers and, and that entertainment factor. So um, I think it's a, it's a plus for comics. The, uh, the other news, I guess, uh, current event right now that uh, is worth mentioning uh, is that uh, DC is kind of, uh, I, I guess, shifting uh, some infrastructure on how their uh, their printing is going. They're they're closing Vertigo, right? They're they're shutting down their Vertigo imprint, and they are going to DC Black Label. But then also, very excitingly, uh, they are introducing some uh, young adult and kids uh, stuff. So I think we should talk about that. Yeah, I'm kind of interested to see how that's going to work. Um, I like their previous imprints. Um, and I think that this is going to add maybe a, le a level of confusion to those who already were kind of thinking about the other imprints. Um, I also wonder how that's going to work for the DC imprint with the 13 and up, because there are comics in that, in that world that might not be necessarily perfect for a 13-year-old. And so I think that's going to cause some issues for people trying to figure out how to place them. And I know they're putting age ranges on the comics as well, but that could be the kiss of death in my classroom. If I have a, you know, a 14 year old who maybe, you know, should be reading more of a 10 year old level or 12 age range for content, I can't give them that book because they're going to go, this is not for me. I'm 14 or, you know, I, and with parent issues, 
I don't, I hate age labels. Um, I prefer Bondage developmental too. stages um, because they're going to look at, and some of these books in the eight to 12 are going to be great books. But if I'm in a middle school classroom, a lot of those kids aren't going to want them. They're going to say, oh, these are for babies or these are for little kids. So I think there, I have some issues with it in terms of in the classroom. I also really don't like black label um, for an imprint, um, but I might just be picky. Well, let's let's uh, hit some of these questions that uh, that James shared with us, and, and find out a little bit more about uh, about you, Jill. So, Jill, what drew you to comics in the first place? Um, well, like you know, like all of us that are you know teachers, we're always looking for ways to connect with our learners in our classrooms, and comics was the medium um, that did this the best, in my opinion, for the widest variety of kinds of learners. Most of my experience is in the humanities. And so this was a great way to reach my ESL students, um, you know, the, the kids that, that love the pop culture aspect, the um, students who might have been, you know, having reading issues, my Asperger kids who couldn't, you know, connect on a, through, um, pragmatic language issues. So they learn social skills. So it's easier um, sometimes to empathize with a character than in prose. Um, as a reader, I, I grew up around comics mostly. Like to be honest, like middle grade horror, I really, really liked. But it wasn't until my husband came back from uh, San Diego Comic-Con way back and brought me home um, Terry Moore's Stranger in Paradise. And that, that series, um, really hooked me with the way he developed female voices and its rich storytelling. And then after that, um, you know, some women have shoe fetishes. I have comics fetishes. So, I mean, I buy tons and tons and tons of comics um, because I enjoy them and I enjoy the range of storytelling. That's awesome. Um, so when did you start to begin advocating for the use of uh comics in the classroom? Um, I don't remember when, uh, probably over 10 years ago. Um, if not a little longer than that, American Born Chinese by Jean Yang was one of the first books I brought in to actually teach as a whole class novel. But I also brought in um, a lot of uh, comics as part of uh, independent reading, bringing them in to do visual analysis early on. Um, I have an art history background, so looking at visual thinking and visual literacy is something I've always kind of tried to bring in um, because it's accessible. It's uh, everybody can kind of have an opinion um, and then pushing those process questions of like why, what makes you think that, where do you, where do you see that? Comics is perfect for that. So you don't even need to bring in, you know, Renaissance art. You can bring in a comic strip. Um, so I started bringing those in as well to lay foundational pieces to other books um, so that the kids could understand either the theme, the conflict, or sometimes just the place. So probably, yeah, probably about 10, 15 years. That's awesome. You know, when the, um, just kind of full disclosure, so I'm probably going to deviate a little bit from the question that James sent you, but I think it was going to get to the heart of it. Um, so. Go for it. 
So in uh, in what I've been seeing on um, Twitter and just like in other places about um, comic books in the classroom, you know, there's obviously been some sort of discontent or misconceptions about using comics. And, you know, there's some people that say like, you know, it's not really teaching like literacy or reading or, you know, it's childish and it has no real place for in the classroom. Um, so, you know, what, what, with your background and someone who's, you know, incorporated comics in the classroom and have helped others, like what do you usually say to teachers or administrators that have like, you know, that's a little bit uh, apprehensive to saying, okay, I'm going to use comics in the classroom. Like how do you kind of help them, you know, make that, you know, leap of faith for them? Yeah, so depending on the audience, so if I'm talking to somebody that might be like K through eight, um, I'll talk about picture books, right? Nobody ever has an issue with bringing picture books into the classroom. Right. Um, and for me, it's teaching exactly the same skills. Um, in fact, there are some great picture books that are early comics. And so I really kind of try to focus in on that and how the same skills, if we're teaching picture books well, not just treating them as entertainment, how those are really rich educational um, experiences for students. If I'm talking to, say, like middle school to high school, I'll typically ask, well, are you college prep? If you're college prep, then, you know, let's talk about the fact that MIT, Stanford, Harvard, Columbia, all of these schools that we aspire our students to go to, they offer graphic novel classes. They offer visual literacy and media classes now. Um, and if that doesn't sell them, I'll then talk about how much we consume on, a, on just a visual level because of iPhones and things like that. And what better way to teach those visual literacy and those critical thinking skills when we're talking about fake news and things like that then to engage them where we can also talk about literacy and rich stories and rich characters and empathy and cultural competence. So it's kind of a, a you know, twofer or, you know, uh, a way to do lots of different things and maximize the time. So it depends on who I'm talking to. I've had the same conversations with administrators and other teachers about uh, video learning. Mm -hmm and using video in the classroom. Um, and I teach, a, I teach a class where kids are, are trying to find out what they want to be when they're older. And a lot of them, a lot of them um, you know, when they fill that out, when they fill that, um, that form out, they just want to be a YouTube star. They want to make YouTube videos. So <laughs> in all likelihood, we all can't be successful at that. Um, but there, there, is, there is a market there for it. So you, you have to... I've had to design some curriculum so that um, they can understand like what does it what does a good video look like and um, and and build on and build on that because you you it's not like it's I, I don't even think it's like you know wanting to be an actor or or a famous sports star or whatever like being a YouTube. Uh, sensation is something that's feasible to them. They can hold it in their hands because they can, get, they can, you know, they can do it now. Um, and so, yeah, like we, we, we oftentimes have to change the minds of, of people who are, um, who don't understand all the complexity of what the, what content we're trying to, you know, we're trying to push to the kids. Um, and I think, I think video instruction and, 
teaching kids how to make videos and 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 comics and using comics in the classroom this those are those are two chapters in the same yep. book well and i think part of it too is also this idea right we don't know what the kids in our classroom's world is going to be as an adult but if we can look at not only teaching them how to consume content but also how to create content and empower them to be producers then we're actually giving them transferable skills that they can use no matter what the world looks like and I think that's where the visual literacy and the comics and video all come into play is because that is their world. That's our world, right? I mean, and what we're consuming, it's no longer five paragraph essays. And so we need to make sure we're, we're training the kids from really early age in terms of how to think about these things. And then also then how do you communicate well using these different mediums? And comics is just another medium for doing it well. And, you know, you look at it, too, um, with the rise in graphic medicine, we're starting to see, you know, medical schools using comics to teach content because medical students are actually able to retain it far better than the traditional textbooks. So if it's good for medical students, then why aren't we looking at it for younger ages other than we've got a, a whole range of administrators and teachers who just aren't comfortable with it? Uh, that's it. Jill needs a bigger platform than our podcast because uh, she is the smartest person in all four of these rooms tonight. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Like, I just you, love it. I mean, you, you mentioned a few minutes ago about um, the, the, the publishing companies need to be more forward thinking about their, their problem solving. And you, I do, I get the feeling like they're all playing chess when they should, I mean, playing checkers when they, they, they should be playing chess. You have literally talked about, about issues and, and solutions to problems in education, things that I can use in my classroom that I never even realized before tonight. And like, I, I know that uh, after an hour of this, I'm a better person for it. So oh, I, I appreciate it greatly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's been fascinating listening to you talk about this. I, I, you know, I agree with Kevin. I've, I've learned a lot from just having this conversation. So thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. Well, and I'm excited you guys are doing this. I mean, this is another way to help teachers with their professional development. Um, and so it's, it's a service to all of the folks out there who, you know, are thinking, oh, hey, these could be really cool, but not knowing where to start. And mm -hmm. so I, I, I applaud you guys for putting in all this extra time on behalf of all the rest of us for professional development. Um, and it's something I think well, that you, that's also the benefit. You and our mothers. <laughs> <laughs> you and our mothers are very, very proud. <laughs> And that's probably it right now. Not even our wives. I told my <laughs> just Jill and our mothers. <laughs> I told my mom that when I was doing a podcast, she was like, what's a podcast? <laughs> well, like, now you can have your students create podcasts. That's true. And then have Sean edit all of them. Uh, no. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, You out there in your do role i've been kind of you know i've been kind of keeping up with what you've been putting out there as of late with your new job and it sounds exciting yeah i'm excited and you know and i'm trying to keep up with the comic stuff too so i'll be having some stuff coming out um later in the year turn to just trying to kind of 
keep putting out ideas and professional development for, for teachers to find easily and free. Um, and just trying to kind of push that a little bit. I'm presenting at Nerd Camp, so I'm one of only two graphic novel Nerd Camp workshops up in Michigan. So I'm really excited about kind of seeing how to, how well that goes. Fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, those those of us who you know like to use comics in our classroom and things like that, we just have to get the word out there. So uh, I know that I've got uh, something coming up in Frankfurt, uh, July 18th. Uh, to where I'll be the only person there presenting at a uh, uh, the Kentucky History Educators Conference. Uh, <laughs> I got an email about that uh, a few months ago, and they're like, "Yeah, we're actually going to have you be the keynote for it." Wow. I'm like, okay, <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> so, and they're like, yeah, we're basically going to use yours to kind of talk about everything. And we're going to put you in that primetime keynote slot. I'm like, okay, uh, no pressure. Let's do this. Uh, and then I'll also be joining uh, Sean to do a talk up at uh, Indian uh, Comic-Con uh, end of August. So that's going to be fantastic. So, yeah, Jill, we just have to get out there and just spread the word. Yep. And well, and, and, and I think, and keep, you know, not giving in either. I mean, that's the piece. Um, my last school, I had a very successful graphic novel uh, elective, um, two full sections, almost all boys, but that's okay. Um, and the kids loved it. I saw huge gains when I had them back in my American Lit class. And I sat down with my department chair to talk about electives. And he's like, well, you know, Jill, that's kind of your thing. So I think maybe we should offer something a little more practical that the kids can use. And I'm like, all right, well, like what? And he wanted me to teach a business writing class. I don't even know what that means. Like, <laughs> so, um, so I knew it was time for me to go. <laughs> and that yeah. was my leadership. Um, right. Yeah, but we just got to keep pushing it. Yeah. Convert them all. Right. <laughs> now, Jill, I want to ask you just one more thing before we wrap up here. We're going to kind of put you on the spot here just a bit. Uh, I want to know what are your top five comics, your top five favorites all time? Ooh, what age level? Any. What genre? Any. Um, Any. Well, I mean, I, I still I still love Strangers in Paradise. That I will always be one of my go-tos. Um, I love Batwoman Elegy. I think that comic has so many layers to it, um, and it's just gorgeous. Um, favorite of all time. I'm trying to think what if I were on a desert island. Um, oh, that's so hard. It's like picking my favorite child. Um, uh, that's I easy to do when you only have two well I've got three, <laughs> so, uh, three very different kids um, i trying to think what else this is hard um, I well see because I can sit and go it's like books I just read too like I loved Berlin um, it's a heavy book I don't know if it'll be all my top of all time but it's one of my favorites this year um I love, if you've got any, like, if you want books for, like, teenage girls, Kiss Number 8, which just came out, um, is amazing. I love that one. 
I love American Board Chinese always has a special place in my heart because it, it, it has so many layers to teach. So it's a really beautiful book to bring into the classroom. Um, God, I don't know. That's tough. That, that might be a lesson for us to like not ask that question in the future. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I could, it's like, even if I broke it down by genre, it would be easier. Right. So before we go, uh, Jill, why don't you let everybody know where they can uh, contact you or uh, reach out to you on social media? The easiest place to find me is on Twitter and it's at Gerber Jill. Um, and then I also have my website, perceptivegaze.com, where there are articles and resources um, that I've written as well as my friend who's a librarian. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on this evening and for sharing your your vast well of knowledge uh, with us. Uh, that's going to wrap up another episode of The Caption Life. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on whatever po platform you listen to and to follow us on social media at Caption Life.